Scripture teaches God has a plan and a purpose for our marriages. Part of what God wants from our marriage is godly children. He wants us to raise kids who know Him and love Him and follow Him. This is a, a part of the reason God instituted marriage, part of the reason He saved us and made us parents. We're going to look at a passage today that addresses the issue of parenting. Now, Scripture is filled with advice and guidance on how to be a godly parent, and there's so much we could not possibly cover it in one passage. Um, But we're going to start and we're going to end with the Bible because that's what matters most. The values of our culture are are all muddled and all messed up. Um, People don't know a lot of things they ought to know. The experts of the world are really a part of the reason the, the culture's in the shape that it is. And we need to get back to what God has said about the family. Now, what we're looking at this morning in Ephesians 6 is where we'll be. It does deal with parents and children both. I titled the message, Being a Godly Parent, but I could have just as easily titled the message, Being a Godly Child, because it's both of them in these first four verses of Ephesians 6. So if you're here today and you're a parent, this is a lot of good information about what we're supposed to do as we raise our children and train them up in the way they should go. If you're a child here today, a young person, then this is also for you. It teaches you what you're meant to be, what you're supposed to be as you live at home and as you are under the authority of your parents. So open your Bible this morning, Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4, page 898. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Ephesians 6 and 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first command with the promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The title of the message is, Being a Godly Parent. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Uh, Lord, we want to be godly parents. We want to have godly homes with our children to be godly children. So help us to take what we can and learn from this, apply it. Let the kids in our church come to know you at young ages and live for you always. Uh, just work in our homes and let them be strong and built on Christ. Places of love and encouragement. Places where Christ is proclaimed and where Christ is Lord. Fill me this morning with your spirit. And give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what you want said or what you want done. We love you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, it gives responsibilities to parents and children. So, the key truth deals with both parents and children. Godly parents and godly children fulfill their God-given, Scripture-revealed responsibilities. And as I mentioned the last two weeks that we've looked at, at the home, it's important to understand this isn't, I just sat at home this week and said, hey, here's a few things parents ought to do. Here's a few things children ought to do. This is, it is god Given, right? So God has spoken to Paul. Paul has written it down. It has been revealed in Scripture. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to guess. We can look at this and we can say this is what's right and this is always what's right. And if we do something different than this, then it is always wrong. So if, as parents, if we're going to be godly parents, we must fulfill our God-given responsibilities. The children, the young people in our church are going to be godly young people. And they are going to have to fulfill their God-given, Scripture-revealed responsibilities. And, and I've got four points for the passage. Three 
The first three are characteristics of godly children. And then the last is just an encouragement for parents. So the first characteristic of godly children is godly children obey their parents. Now, children does not mean three, four, and five-year-olds. Children, as it's meant here, it really meant to those who were still living under the authority of their parents, those who were living at home. right? And children in these days, they could be 20, 21, under. If they still lived at home, they were considered to be children. The word for obey in verse 1, stronger than the demand of submission required of wives in chapter 5. And it's kind of a picture of Jesus, right? So Jesus submitted himself and obeyed his earthly parents. Now, if Jesus, the Lord of all, submitted himself to his earthly parents and obeyed them, then our earthly children, the earthly people, they also must submit to the authority of their parents and obey them. Now, all children are going to disobey. There are no perfect children who never do wrong, uh, except for the, the children who are yet to be born, right? Because all parent, all pregnant couples will tell you all the things their kids will do and won't do. I always tell them, write a book. Because once that kid's born, everything's going to change. But all kids disobey. All kids test their parents' limits. But despite the fact that kids are going to disobey and test their parents' limits, there should be a pattern of obedience in the children's lives. This is what's expected. God expects this of children. Obey your parents. Now, while this command is explicitly to parents, I believe there is an implied responsibility for parents. And that is to train your children to obey you. Most people are not naturally obedient. Most children are not naturally obedient. So how do you get a child who is naturally disobedient to become obedient? You have to train them. You have to teach them. You have to make them see the importance of that. And that responsibility to train children to be obedient, it falls to mom and dad. Now, in our culture, disobedient children is not a big deal. It's often kind of encouraged. When you think about like popular kids type movies, how many of them, basically the message of the movie is your parents are stupid. You're the one, the only one that knows what's right. You should disobey them and do your own will. I mean, that, that's kind of the theme. Our, our culture sees children disobeying as a good thing. That's the way it's supposed to be, that all children are going to and they're supposed to. But Scripture has a different view of it. Now, kids have always pushed back on boundaries. That's why Paul had to write for children to obey their parents. And I don't know if that's ever going to change, but what can change is the parental attitude towards this. As the children's attitude towards this. As Christian parents, as disciples of Jesus, we have to submit to the word of Jesus. And that means as parents, it is expected, it is incumbent upon us to ensure, to do what we can to ensure our children obey. And if you're a youth in here and you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, it is incumbent upon you to do what Scripture says and obey your parents. Now, when we come to Scripture, we find it is not nearly as accepting of our culture's view as children disobeying their parents. Now, Romans 1 starting in verse 18, begins to deal with what happens as a nation rejects God. 
But the wrath of God is revealed as the nation rejects God. And eventually God turns the nation over to a reprobate mind, a culture over, so that they have defiled minds and they do things that are sinful and wicked. And the whole culture just kind of goes to the dogs, as it were, in, in just absolute rebellion against God. Now, we don't have time to look at everything that this says. But if you were to read Romans 1, 18-32, it would look very familiar to the American culture right now. But in the middle of all of these things that are really bad, right, fornication, murder, uh, deceit, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, notice what I've highlighted there. Disobedient to children. So what is one sign of a culture that has rejected God? A culture that is under the judgment of God? It is a nation of kids who disobey their parents. It is a sign of God's judgment on that culture. But not only is the children disobedient, but look at what it goes on to say. That they which commit such things are worthy of death. They not only do them, but they have pleasure in them that do them. Right? So according to this, when you have a culture and... All the kids are disobedient. That is a common theme in the culture. The children are disobedient. And not only do people do know that, and they encourage it. That's a sign of a culture under the wrath of God. That is a sign of a culture that has rejected God. That is vastly different than what our world says. Not only that, but Paul talks about it again. Know this, and in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. Of course, the time when Jesus returns is going to be a, a dangerous, wicked time. And a sign of that danger and wickedness is children who disobey, who rebel against their parents. From these verses, it's just clear. There's more. I mean, those are just the easy to find. It's easy to see in Scripture. God doesn't take the same view of children being disobedient to their parents that our culture does, that, that others do. And if God takes it this seriously, then we as parents, we must as well. Right? We, we can't just say, well, kids are going to be kids. We, we can't act as though it's no big deal. If we do, we are disobedient to God as parents. We must train our children to obey us because that's what God says. But, and, and they're to do it. The children are to obey in the Lord. Now, in the New Testament, the Lord almost always refers to Jesus. So in the Lord means in part because of Jesus. So as a, a godly parent, as a disciple of Jesus... It is incumbent upon me to train my children to obey because of my commitment to Jesus. I'm committed to Jesus, therefore I will raise my kids in the way God has said. But as children, there's something incumbent upon you as well. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you profess faith in Him, then it is incumbent upon you to be obedient to your parents because of your devotion to Jesus. And the implications, as parents, we must train our children to obey us because of our commitment to Jesus. As parents, we must train our children to be obedient to us as a part of their commitment to Jesus. And children must be obedient to their parents because of your commitment to Jesus. When we implicitly 
or explicitly teach our children, their obedience to us is an important. We are in a way teaching them what God says is not important. We're saying what God says here is not important. But here's what's going to happen with that. If you teach them this particular passage is not important, the lesson they're going to learn isn't that only this passage is unimportant, that there are places in Scripture that are unimportant. And since there are places in Scripture that are unimportant, and since mom and dad seem to have come up with this one on their own as being unimportant, I get to choose what passages are unimportant to me. And it sets kids up to live in absolute rebellion against God. To be nominal Christians who profess Jesus with their mouth, deny Him with their life, and end up spending eternity in hell. Children obeying parents is important because God says it is. Godly children fulfill their God-given, Scripture-revealed responsibilities. And this means being obedient to your parents. So young people, are you obedient To your parents. Are you a godly child. Who obeys your parents. And then as godly parents. We must fulfill our God given. Scripture revealed responsibilities. And that is to train our children. To obey us. So as parents are we doing our part. Do we make obedience to us. Something that matters. And is important because God does. We must. Secondly. Godly children obey their parents. Godly children honor their parents. Now, verse 2, it says, Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first command with a promise. That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Paul connects this back to the Ten Commandments. The term honor, it meant more than just obey. It meant to, it means to have a high respect for, or to hold someone in high esteem. The picture is, parents... Deserve to be respected and held in high esteem. The the opposite is is dishonor. Treating with no respect as if they are worthless and they don't deserve or not worthy of respect or honor. Now honor in scripture is done personally. It it cannot be done any other way. If I am to honor a person, I must do it. Right? Kelly cannot honor my parents on my behalf. I must honor my parents. But honor in Scripture is given to people, not things. It's always people. And another thing about honor that's important is honor cannot be self-designated. But I can't just say you should honor me. I deserve to be honored because look how awesome I am. Instead, honor is often given by a higher authority. In this case, honor is given by God. Right? The office of being a parent is worthy of honor because God has said parents are to be honored. Right? We, we find that idea all throughout Scripture. Right? Honor is given because of a position. We're to honor the king and the leaders in our, in our country. Right? Why? Is it because they're all wonderful and great people? Or is it because God has said honor the king and give honor to whom honor is due? Similar way, honor has been given to parents. God has said, honor your parents because of their positions as leaders of the family. Also notice there's no qualifier given for the commandment. It's not honor your parents if you think they're worthy of honor. 
It's not honor your parents if they don't get on your nerves and aren't irritating you. It's honor your parents. The reason for honor is wrapped solely in the position of parenthood, not the quality, the job the parents do of parenting. Now, I do believe parents should work at being worthy of honor, for sure. But a parent who maybe we feel isn't worthy of honor, that doesn't mean I get to oversee, over, overturn God's command and be dishonoring to them. The office of parenthood deserves to be honored, respected, and held in high esteem. So children, you must not dishonor your parents. Now, Scripture gives us a lot of ways to dishonor your parents. You don't have to write these down. These are in the Old Testament. But, but cursing them, hitting them, stealing from them, general rebellion against them, being disobedient, living a sinful life. All of these are ways children dishonor their parents. And there's more, but basically the picture is if you do anything that demeans your parents or makes light of them or mocks them in some way, brings shame to them, you are dishonoring your parents. Now, something interesting. If we were to look at all of those passages about what happens when children dishonor their parents, does anyone know the Old Testament punishment for dishonoring your parents? Yeah, you took them to the elders of the city and you said, this kid is rebellious and disobedient and is dishonoring to me and they will not come under my authority. And then they took them to the gates of the city and the community stoned them to death. Now, I know as teen parents were thinking, yes, but no. No, that's Old Testament, not New Testament. Don't go home and stone your children today because that's what the preacher said you could do. They were dishonoring you. But what I want you to see is how serious that is. I mean, how serious did God take the idea of honoring your parents that being dishonoring to them could get you killed? Isn't that vastly different than our culture? Man, as, as disciples of Jesus, we have to understand the culture cannot set the standard for anything in our lives. Not how we think, not how we talk, not how we live, not how we parent. And if we are conformed to the culture, make no mistake, we are out of step with Scripture. We must take what Scripture takes seriously. We must take it as, script, as seriously as Scripture takes it. As disciples of Jesus... Whether parents or as children, we cannot, we cannot let culture be our standard. We must embrace God and His standard as the standard. So godly children, they fulfill their God-given, Scripture-revealed responsibilities. And this means honoring your parents. So young people, do you honor your parents? Do the people in your life know you respect your parents. That you esteem them. That they are important in your life. Or does the way you talk about your parents, the way you treat your parents, the way you act, does it communicate to your friends and the people in your life your parents are not worthy of respect? You must honor your parents if you are a godly child. And then godly parents... Fulfill their God-given Scripture-revealed responsibilities. And this means training our children to honor us. When our children dishonor us, when they talk back, when they're sassy, when they just flaunt the rules, 
We can't act like it's okay. Because it's not. We have a God-given responsibility to ensure they honor us. And if we aren't doing it, we are failing as disciples of Jesus. We must train our children to honor us as Scripture expects. So godly children obey their parents. Godly children honor their parents. Thirdly, godly children have godly standards. Verse 4. You fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Part of raising godly children is to raise them to have godly standards, not the standards of the world. In this passage, in this one verse, Paul gives what I would say are three responsibilities in order to raise children with godly standards. First, refuse to provoke your children. Fathers, provoke not your children. Well, I love my... My King James Bible, I do prefer the NIV translation here. The NIV says, fathers do not exasperate your children, which I feel is a much better translation. Give similar instructions in Colossians where the fathers are told not to embitter their children so that they don't become discouraged. Now in the families of Paul's day, the fathers had absolute authority over their family, had full legal rights over their children, and they ran their homes with an iron fist. In Jewish families, the fathers were responsible for education of the children uh, and and everything. Paul didn't have to establish parental rights. He didn't have to establish dad, the mom, they have authority in the home. What Paul was doing here was aiming to set limits on harsh treatment. That he's aiming to say, you have authority, but don't use it unwisely. Don't use it sinfully. You know, it takes a lot of patience to raise children in a loving, Christ-honoring manner. And there will be times of anger and there will be times of frustration. But our anger and our frustration should not be the cause for our discipline. Parents can remove the sort of exasperating, frustrating effects on our children by avoiding nagging and labeling and criticizing and domineering. Now, Paul wrote specifically to fathers because fathers were the heads of the home and they were the ones that had the most authority. For Paul to say, do not provoke your children to wrath, to not basically to treat them like humans, was a shocking statement for Paul's day. To consider their feelings and think about what is going on in them. It's important. Now, there are a lot of ways that we can exasperate, we can provoke our children to wrath. Um, Do as I say, not as I do. Right? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is frustrating to everyone. Everyone's exasperated by hypocrisy. So if the only Jesus our kids see in us is here, chances are we're exasperating them. We we can't be hypocrites and train our children to know the Lord. Fault finding. Fault finding, I don't mean you don't point out what's wrong. We should. I mean, we'll look at that in a second. But with fault finding is you only point out the bad, and you never point out the good. Now, I'll be honest. I'm miserable at this. I, I am very, very good at finding fault, very, very poor at giving praise. Not because I don't see it, but in a lot of ways in my mind, if I'm not telling you it's wrong, that's me saying it's right, but that's not good enough. We we must praise them. Here's you did well. This was great. I'm proud of you. Enforce don't enforce boundaries that haven't been defined. 
Right? If you're going to hold them accountable for something, make sure it's something you've actually told them they, they're supposed to do or they're not supposed to do. And there are probably many others. But the best way to find out what exasperates our children is to talk to them. Listen to what they have to say. That doesn't mean we have to take what they say as though they're right. Children are very often wrong about what is truly exasperating and what is just us holding them accountable. We should listen to see. So we, we want to refuse to provoke, but we also teach children God's standards. Just because we're not supposed to provoke them doesn't mean we're not supposed to teach them, guide them, correct them, and discipline them. But we still have a responsibility to instruct our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And one of the main ways we do this is by teaching them God's Word. Scripture repeatedly explains parents are to be the primary Bible teachers for their kids. At the start of the service, I read Deuteronomy 6, 4-7, through 7, which explains this. When parenting is done as it should, when we're doing what we're supposed to do, our kids are taught the Bible at home. Then they come to church, they come to Sunday school, they go to youth, they go to children's church. And all of that reinforces what they're already being taught at home. But mom and dad are meant to be the primary Bible teacher for our children. And among mom and dad, biblically speaking, it's meant to be dad as the primary because Scripture places the responsibility of leadership of the home, spiritual leadership of the home, to the husband. So as husbands, we are to be teaching our children. And as we teach them God's standards, we teach them God's standards about things such as sex, and language, and modesty, holiness of life, and faithfulness to God. If we aren't trying to teach them what God's standards are, we cannot be surprised if they embrace the world's standards. Because think about it. I mean, think about it. This is all we do. This is one hour, less than an hour a week. How many hours do they watch TV that teaches them something different? How many hours do they listen to music that teaches them something different? How many hours are they at school with kids that are teaching them something different? This world is not going to disciple our children for Jesus. This world is going to disciple our children away from Jesus if we are not intentional about teaching them. Parents must be the teachers. But a part of being the teacher ourselves is that we too are devoted to Scripture. I can't teach what I don't know. If I teach what I don't live, then I go back to exasperating my children through my hypocrisy. When it comes to living as a disciple of Jesus, it is caught as much as taught. We must live. They must see devotion to Scripture in our lives. And then thirdly, hold your children accountable. Paul talks about the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And this includes punishment for wrongdoings. Combined with persistent love as a part of the instruction of the child. And essentially it means we hold them accountable if they don't follow our instructions, if they don't do what they're supposed to do. And again, this is not culturally acceptable. But we, we really don't do our children any favors if we don't discipline them. When I was in the army, when I was in college, 
I saw lots of kids who were never disciplined. Their parents just kind of let them do whatever they wanted to. Life was not kind to them. Strangely enough, the drill sergeants didn't care that mom and dad thought you you shouldn't have to do things. The college professors didn't care that mom and dad always went and talked to the teachers and got your deadline extended. We do them no favors at all when we don't hold them accountable. But beyond just the practical nature, Scripture, again, has a lot to say about it. Now, more than what we could talk about today, but he that spareth his rod hateth his son. Wow. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes, often. Now, that sounds harsh, right? So if I don't discipline my child... I hate them. That's what scripture says. And if I say, I just love them too much. I can't stand to see them sad. It's really not love that's motivating me. It is a a hatred of them. And if I love them, then I, I do chasten them. Now, while that does sound harsh and it does sound wrong, it is consistent with what scripture says about God. For whom the Lord loveth, he what? Correcteth. Even as a father The son in whom he delighteth. God corrects us. Do you know who God doesn't correct? Those who are not his children. So if I love my children like God loves me, then I correct them. I discipline them when they're wrong. And then another one that's important. Withhold not correction from the child for if thou, and I like this verse, beatest him with the rod. Yeah! He shall not die. I shall beat him with the rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. I like the message paraphrase there. Peterson says a good spanking, in fact, might save them from something worse than death. I think in a lot of ways, parents' discipline or lack thereof will shape a child's view of God's discipline. In Scripture, God has called our Heavenly Father. and So many children will determine God disciplines as their earthly father does. And if the earthly father is all talk and no follow through, then our children will conclude, our heavenly father is probably like that as well. Yes, he says there will be hell at the end if I don't repent and believe and live for Jesus, but come on. Mom and dad never actually fell through with things, so God won't follow through either. This leaves them in a very dangerous place for eternity. So godly children, they fulfill their God-given, Scripture-revealed responsibilities, and that means having godly standards. So young people, do you have godly standards? Are your standards of conduct, of speech, purity, of sexuality, are they in line with what Scripture teaches? Or are they more in line with the world? If you are a disciple of Jesus, You must have godly standards. Godly parents fulfill their God-given, Scripture-revealed responsibilities. And that means we train our children to have godly standards. We know it's against the culture. We know they probably don't want them. That's what we teach them. That's what we train them. That's what we hold them accountable to. Because that's what Scripture says. And then, those are the three characteristics. And this is just the encouragement for parents. Consistently point my children to Jesus. Now this point isn't explicitly mentioned in the text. 
but it is implicitly the primary message of Scripture. We have to point people to Jesus. And this includes our children. This is our, our most important job as parents. Is to point our kids to Jesus. My goal has never been to raise moral children. Now, I don't want to raise immoral children. But morality is not the goal I want for my girls. A person can have great morals and reject Jesus in their heart. A person can have great morals and hate Jesus in their heart. But we, we aren't seeking to raise our children to obey their parents, to honor their parents, and have godly standards so they will be moral. The actions of obedience, giving honor, and living by certain standards are not the goal. They're meant to be an overflow of the kids' faith in Jesus. We're not seeking to raise moral children. We're seeking to raise godly children who believe in Jesus and follow Jesus. Everything always has to go back to Jesus. Our greatest desire for our kids can't be for them to be great athletes. It can't be for them to get great educations. It can't be for them to get great jobs. It can't be for them to be wildly successful. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. But if they are great athletes with great educations, great jobs, and wildly successful, but they don't know Jesus, they've missed out on what is most important in their lives. If we raise children who are great athletes, go to great universities, get great educations, get great jobs, and are wildly successful, but they do not know Jesus, they do not follow Jesus, it is not a win. My girls do not know Jesus and do not follow Jesus in their life. That will be the greatest loss and heartbreak of my life. If we want our children to know Jesus and follow Jesus and be godly children, we must consistently point them to Jesus. So we have to do some things. We have to be clear about the gospel. We've got to tell them. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead. And you must repent of your sins and you must believe in Jesus in order to be saved. We have to tell them that explicitly, not implicitly. We have to explain to them their need for Jesus. Listen, we can't, we can't treat our children as though they were these pristine little angels that never do anything wrong because they're not. They're dirty, rotten sinners just like us. And they need Jesus. And if we treat them like pristine angels who never do anything wrong, they will never see their need for Jesus. They must know they have sinned and they have fallen short of the glory of God. They must know they too will suffer the wages of sin, which is death. We have to encourage them to repent of their sin and believe in Jesus. Not just, hey, this is the gospel. You embrace it. Make an intentional response. You've got to encourage them to faithfully serve Jesus. Serving Jesus is not something you do when you get to be 20 or 30 or you graduate college. It is something you do the moment you receive Christ. You become a disciple who's meant to live for Him. Now, it'll be different for someone that's... 8, 9, 10, 14, 15, 16, than it will for someone who's 24, 25, 35, and 40. But it still means serve them. 
Serve them in the ways they can that is age appropriate, that is appropriate to their spiritual maturity levels. Secondly, always ground their obedience, their giving of honor, their godly standards, their faith in Jesus. Not do this because I deserve it. Do this because that's what Jesus commands. Do this because you profess faith in Christ. Do this because you are a disciple and disciples have responsibilities. And this is the last and the hardest one. Look for evidence of salvation in their lives. And, and I would add to that, look honestly. Do not look with rose-colored glasses. Do not look at something that they did in the past but has no impact on their lives today. Look at their current life. Does it testify of Jesus in any way? Do you see anything in their lives that says they have repented of their sins? They are believing in Jesus Christ. They are Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. Do you see any fruit, any evidence? And if there's not, don't just tell them they're saved. Don't just tell them it's okay. You do them no favors by confirming them in their sin and their rebellion that they are going to heaven. Better to make them wonder and make them fear and find out with assurance that they are saved. And to tell them, oh, you're such a good kid. Oh, I know you're saved. God just loves you just the way you are. God, deliver us from that kind of weak, mamby-pamby parenting. Let us be godly parents who point our kids to Jesus and say, I know you say you're safe, but good grief. You don't live like it. There's nothing in your life that says Jesus. Here's what the Bible says. What, what do you, you need to repent. You must believe. If we're going to train our children to follow Jesus, then we must consistently point them to Jesus. And that is the main thing. Because nothing else matters. If our kids grow up, and they obey us, and they honor us, they have godly standards, but they don't know Jesus, they don't follow Jesus, it's not a win. That they know Him. That they love Him. That they serve Him. This is most important. Stand. Heads bowed and with eyes closed.